Christmas is uh, kind of a, a mixed bag for many. Um, for us, we're at a point in life in our journey where we are seeing Christmas through the eyes of a three-year-old granddaughter. And needless to say, that is unique. Uh, we had Christmas in our home last night, and uh, uh, that was our time that we were going to do Christmas because kids are, are going to be all running everywhere. I never imagined my family being close for Christmas, and so I, I realized what a blessing it is. Christmas in our house, as I have gotten to be a grandfather, has changed dramatically because now I think Christmas should be fun. So I will just say yesterday it involves safety glasses, six Nerf guns, and more darts than we will ever find in the next couple of months. Uh, we like to have fun with it. Um, a couple of years ago, it involved silly string, which my wife has now banned from our home forever because it does not come off of a flat screen TV very well. <laughs> um, so we, we, we like having a good time with it. But for some, this holiday is tough. Christmas and holidays are very hard. For some of you, this is the, the first season, the first holiday without a loved one. For some of you, this is the 30th or 40th season without a loved one, and it's no different. I mean, it's, it, it's no different. You just have learned different coping skills is the only thing that's changed over the time. For some, this is a time of family that is good, and for some of you, this is a time of family that is bad because it's family, all right? Um, for some, this is a lonely time. Um, for some, it's a time of shattered dreams. You've always had Christmas a certain way, and now because of life changes or things that have happened within your family, it's different. And for some... Like us, this is a fun time. Um, we understand that. I, I, I want to encourage you, with, before I get started here, to watch out for each other. Um, make sure that we take care of each other. If, if you want to go someplace for Christmas and you don't have a place to go, please let me know. We have families here who would love to have you at their table. Um, and if you want to be by yourself on Christmas, that's okay. We get that, too. But we want it to be because you want to, not because you have to, okay? So um, please be willing and honest enough to say, hey, you know, you got anybody that's got an open seat at their table? And um, don't worry, we have those people. So we have been talking about Christmas the last couple of weeks. And uh, as we talk about Christmas, we've been looking at the gospel account of Matthew. Um, Matthew starts the... Um, <coughs> the gospel by talking about the people in the life of Jesus Christ and his lineage. And there's a whole bunch of names mentioned, but we picked three that we wanted to focus on. Three Gentile women. Um, Tamar, who's one you'd not normally talk about. Tamar really shows us the idea that there is hope because Tamar's situation was a hopeless one. We talk about Rahab, who was a person of faith in spite of a lifestyle that was faithless. 
she had a tremendous amount of faith and confidence in God. And then we talk about Ruth, who embodies the idea of love, faith, hope, and love. We talked last week about the idea that then when Matthew gets into the account of Jesus and his birth, he focuses on two names, Emmanuel, God with us, and Jesus, the idea that uh, Yahweh or God saves. And he talks about that. This morning, I want to look at Luke's account, probably the most familiar to you. And um, I want to talk about the name that becomes important in Luke's gospel. Um, let me give you a little background. Mary and Joseph have traveled to Bethlehem. Um, they are from Nazareth. Um, Joseph is a stonemason or a carpenter. Um, he has basically, that, that is his occupation, but he's a Jew. And as a Jew, every 14 years, they were required to go to their hometown and register. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is they would pay taxes. Another is that when they registered because they were Jew, they were excluded from military service. So this was an important thing for them to do. And so it was that time, and it didn't matter that Mary was, was expecting, it was required to do. So her and Joseph make this trek of about 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem, about the distance from here to Omaha. And so they make this trek, and they go all the way down to Bethlehem, and apparently at this point in, in Joseph's life, uh, he has no family there uh, because for whatever reason, he didn't have a place to stay. And normally you'd stay with your family, but apparently it's, it'd be like me going back. I was born actually in um, Louisville, Kentucky. If I went back to Louisville, Kentucky, there's no family there that I would know to stay with. I'd check into a motel somewhere. So much like that, Joseph is, and he comes to a, basically there was a stable area. It was an open area where people would, would actually house their animals, and often they would have little cubby holes off to the side in which people would sleep and the animals would kind of stay in the middle. In some cases, there were little caves around and, and, and you would just stay in the cave or maybe even the animals would stay in the cave. And so Joseph and Mary, they don't have, there's no place for them. And the innkeeper, the person who was in charge of it, said, you know what, I, um, maybe we can, I mean, again, this should, by the way, this should give you an idea of the culture. A woman who's nine months pregnant did not go to the front of the line for a place to stay. Um, there was no regard to that. I mean, you know, can you imagine, you know, you looking at a nine-month pregnant woman and going, um, you know what, yeah, you just stay there, you know. I, uh, how about out back? But that was the culture of the day. The innkeeper apparently had enough compassion to be able to say, you know what, let's see what we can do for you. It's all full, but I'll, I'll come up with something. And so this child, Jesus, is born, and contrary to your manger scene, um, a manger is a nice English word that means feeding trough. So I want those of you that have animals to think about what your dog dish looks like, what your kitty dish looks like, what your feed bunk looks like, wherever you feed your animals, and I want you to think about taking a brand new newborn child and putting them in that. Because that's the story. You know, and I don't care how much you clean it up, it's still a feed bunk. 
And it's probably not the most sanitary of things. And I mean, I look at what <coughs> we had our granddaughter a couple of weeks ago. It's insane what you have to do to these children to put them in a car. You know, this, you know, three-point harness thing for the baby seat that has to be a certain way, that has to be pulled this way and set that way, and the mirror set up, and then you can't get shade in their, or sun in their eyes, so you got the shade thing that you pulled down. And it, my parents threw us in a back seat and said, go. Um, you know, I mean, you know, I look at it now, and it's kind of crazy, but can you imagine what Jesus? I mean, they, they take this child and put it in a manger deal. There's a question. If you're God, and uh, this has happened, and you want the world to know, how do you tell them? How do you tell them? And what do you tell them? Luke chapter 2. You know the story. Here's what it says. <clears throat> it says, now there were in the same country, and, uh, and I put it in a different version because many of you are used to the King James, but now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were greatly afraid. For those of you that got the uh, opportunity last night or this morning to look up and see the moon and the clear sky, and <clears throat> can you imagine you're standing there looking at that, and all of a sudden, kaboom, there's an angel, and the whole thing is lit up. It says they were so afraid because they'd be afraid. In fact, he's going to say it three times, and you and I would be afraid as well. It'd scare the life out of us because usually in the, in the Bible, when you saw an angel, that was not a good thing. Um, and it says they were greatly afraid, and the angel said unto them, Don't be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. And then he goes on. For there is born unto you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You shall find a babe wrapped in swelling clothes, lying in a manger. Again, that would have been something unusual. You don't normally find children in a feeding trough. And he says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. And then it goes on. Do I have the next one there, Peyton? Yeah. So it was, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. A couple of things that you should know as we, before we get into the story here for a moment. I want to set the context so that you understand it. In this time in history, to have the job of a shepherd was to have one of the lowest jobs possible. Shepherds were despised socially because it was almost one of those things where it's like, well, you know, these were people who basically lived out away from people. They were kind of people who didn't have a lot to do with people socially at all. So they were kind of, and I don't want to offend you, but, I've lived in the South, and my wife is from the South. These were redneck kind of people. These were mountain kind of people. These were socially people who just kind of quite didn't fit in. 
And they would be out often with the sheep. In other words, they were, they were the kind of people that were more comfortable with animals than they were with people. And so they would be out taking care of the sheep. And so society, which meant that they didn't quite bathe very often. And they didn't quite worry about what they looked like very often. They were more concerned with taking care of sheep. So they would sleep with them and they would stay with them and they would watch over them and they would be out in the country. And then, then when it came time to bring the sheep in to sell them or to, to do that, they would do that and they would have very little content. People, then they go back out. So, so you have to understand in this time in a Roman world, in a Greek world where it was all about how you looked and prestige and, and position and title and name and to be a shepherd, socially you were outcast. Religiously, you're outcast, by the way, too. Because you lived with the animals, you couldn't keep all of the religious rules of the Jews. You couldn't keep your hands washed like you were supposed to. And you couldn't be at the temple when you were supposed to. And you couldn't do all those things because you were out with the sheep. So religiously and socially, these people were pushed way off to the side. No one wanted anything to do with them. So here's a question to you. If you're God... And this is the greatest event in, the, in human history. And you want the world to know what just happened. Really? Your choice is shepherds? Socially, people who... Nobody wants to listen to them. So nobody wants to... Religiously, shepherds? That tells you something about your God. And God comes to these, these shepherds who are out on the hillside. There's all kinds of reasons we think that he did this. But the first thing that happens is an angel appears. And, and I want you to stop for a minute, and I want you to think about this event from heaven's perspective. God has left heaven. He has wrapped himself in human flesh. He has gone through a birth canal He is now cleaned up and wiped off and sitting in a manger. And all of heaven has never seen anything like this. This God who has been sitting on a throne, so to speak, who they have worshipped day in and day out, year after year after year, all of a sudden now is wrapped in human flesh, laying in a cattle trough, And heaven can't contain it anymore. And they said, we've got to let the world know what happened. And so in order to not scare the shepherds to death, they start with one angel. And they say, unto you is born. And then all of a sudden, and again, just one angel was enough. Because he has to say three times, don't be be afraid, it's okay. And then at some point... They peel back the curtain, and all of a sudden now there's a heavenly host all across the thing. And these shepherds, these social religious outcasts of the day, are standing there going, Whoa, what just happened? And I don't know what kind of song it was, but I'm going to tell you this it made an impression. And I guarantee you it was loud. And it was overwhelming because heaven could not contain itself at this moment. And the angel said, we want you to know what has happened. And it's very important to notice what he says. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. 
The little city was called Bethlehem. All kinds of fascinating things about Bethlehem. It's a little podunk place in the middle of nowhere. Again, God chooses this obscure little place. But it's got a great history. Bethlehem means house of bread. The bread of life in the house of bread. In darkness, the light of the world. And all of heaven has revealed itself back and peeled itself back in the angel. And he said, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior. He's here to save you. And he adds another phrase, which is Christ the Lord. The message of the angels is the idea that, for, that, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Um, here's a couple of things you should be aware of. In the temple, when they worshipped, they started to worship with a blast of three trumpets. There's actually three clear statements that this passage makes. Glory to God in the highest, dealing with the idea of the Shekinah glory, much like the Shekinah glory of the temple. And on earth, peace. Peace has the idea of wellness, of wholeness, of completeness. It is a phenomenal Jewish concept. We, we, we were here this morning when I said greet everybody, you walked up and said, hey, morning, 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 morning. In the, Greek, in, the, in the Jewish world, I would have walked up to you and I would have grabbed your hand and I would have said, Shalom! 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 You know what you're saying? I trust that you have an incredible world about you, that your life is full, that everything about it is great, that you have this, 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 this whole thing where your life is together and that God has blessed you and honored you and that you have a full, complete life. Shalom! Peace. God came so that we could have this full, complete life. Christ said, I have come not that you may have life, but that you may have life abundantly. A fullness to it and goodwill towards men. This is a great message that's coming. What's also interesting that you should know from a social perspective is that when a child, I mean, in our culture, when a child is born, what do we do? Usually we post it on Facebook, Instagram, email, uh, text. You know, it's like, you know, we put down the name, we put down the, the weight. Only time in the world you ever want to know somebody's weight. We put down the length. Do you really care? But we put all of those things down. And we go, a child is born, and we have a son, or we have a daughter, and blah, 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 blah. In this world, you know what you did? You called the singers. And a bunch of singers would come, and they would sing in front of the house. That's what you would do. So you're walking down the street, and you see a bunch of singers in front of the house. It's like, oh, they must have had a kid. You know, we, we, we put a sign in front of the, the, the yard, and it's, you know, baby girl, baby boy, with all that information. When Jesus is born, the angels sing to announce to the world that this child has been born. And the shepherds, of course, come running to that manger scene, and they worship and then what's interesting is they go out and they start telling everybody and this incredible message spreads throughout the whole world. Starts with a bunch of social religious outcasts of the day. And that's how this story explodes across the planet. But I want to focus on one thing this morning and then we're done. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ 
the Lord. Christ has the idea of Messiah. Lord has the idea of ruler. You see, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us because we're Americans and we're in an American culture and we're, we're inundated with that. We didn't, we didn't live in the Greek-Roman world of this day, but in the Greek-Roman world of this day, you need to understand this idea of Lord. It was a, it was a slave world. You bought and owned people. And if I purchased you to be my slave, you called me Lord. You called me ruler, master. You did what I told you to do because I owned you. About 30 years before this event, in the Roman world, Octavian uh, had taken on this idea for the first time really in the Roman thinking. He had taken on this idea that, that... the Roman ruler is a god. And they would call them Lord. Later it's going to be adopted to the point that Caesar is Lord. And you see, for the average person, that wasn't a problem. Because the average person didn't have any problem worshiping another god. They just added it to whatever gods they worship. Christianity was going to change that. Because you see, in Christianity, it was going to be an exclusive god. It was going to say, I will follow that God and I reject all other gods. That was a problem. No problem saying, okay, I'll just add Jesus to my list of gods. But to say, Jesus will be my only God and all of the rest are wrong. Now that was a problem. By the time Jesus comes on the scene, about a hundred plus years later, Rome really starts to have a problem with this and says, look... If you're going to say the other gods are wrong, we're going to take your life. And so we have this incredible persecution of Christians because people were saying Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. When the angels appear here, they say, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. You see... What this story is really about, think about it for a second. Let's put together the last three weeks. Jesus gives you hope. Because he loves you. But you have to put your faith and trust in him. Because he is God with us, Emmanuel. And he, Jesus, came to save you. But in order to save you, he has to be Christ, the Messiah, the ruler, your Lord. That's why he came. It's not about adding him to whatever your religious system is. It's about, that's why, by the way, the early Christians, we've talked about this when you're going through the book of Ephesians, were called people of the way. Because they believed that Jesus Christ was the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And he was it. And it really comes down to the idea of whether or not Jesus Christ is your personal Savior. Your Lord. Again, go back to the Greek world, the Roman world. Lord meant ruler. It means I get up every day and say, Lord, what do you want me to do for you? 
It's not about what I want to do. It's about what you want me to do. It's not about what I think is right. It's about what you say is right. It's not about what (coughs) society says is politically correct. It's about what you say is right and wrong. My life is determined by you because you are my Lord. This baby came to be your Lord and your Savior. I have people often tell me when we get into this discussion that, you know, I just can't believe that a loving God would, would send people to hell. I can't believe that a loving God would not give you a chance or an opportunity or a second chance or whatever else. And here's what I will say to you. A loving God left heaven, wrapped himself in humanity, walked among us, lived 33 years ago. I don't believe that. And you know what? Here's my challenge to you. Don't touch a Bible. Just go to the history books. Because you will find that Jesus was a living historical person. There's no question about that. He lived among us. He died on a cross for your sin and mine. He came out of a tomb. And ever since then, people have been putting their faith and trust in him. And giving their life for him if necessary. Because they believe it that strongly. You sit here and say, I can't believe a loving God would... That's what a loving God did for you. Now let me tell you what a loving God has done for you if you're here this morning. Every time your heart beats and every time your lungs take in a breath, God says, you got a chance. you got an opportunity. Accept my gift. Every time. How many times has your heart beat today? That's how many opportunities you've had. How many times have you taken in a breath over the last week? That's how many opportunities you've had. You multiply that time a lifetime. And then you come and stand before God after rejecting him with every breath and with every heartbeat. And you really expect God to say, I'll give you one more shot. Because every day that we breathe, every breath that we take, every heartbeat of our our heart is an opportunity for us to accept God's gift. And Jesus said it this way. You reject me here, I'll reject you there. You accept me here, I accept and embrace you on the other side of the grave. You go, man, that's just, that sounds like it's such a definitive kind. Yes, it is. I thought God loved you. Yes, that's the Christmas story. I thought God cared. Yes, you're breathing. But a rejected gift is not yours. On Sunday, I talked about this last week, I gave my wife our anniversary present. And after I said something Sunday, I had to give it to her on Sunday instead of Monday. But uh, I gave it to my wife on, on Sunday, and, 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 and she took it. And it was, it was a, here's how good I am. <clears throat> this is what 35 years of marriage will do. When we first started getting her gifts, I didn't know what to buy her, so I started buying her a bunch of stupid stuff, and she kept, finally she loved me enough to go, honey, this is stupid. I don't, I don't want this. 
And then I said, well, I don't know what to get you. So then she would start circling things. And she would, for Christmas anniversary, she would circle things and put it on my desk. And then I'd just go buy it. It was awesome. It was a great thing. You know, and then I said, you know, well, I want to surprise you a little bit. So she said, okay, I'll circle like three things and just pick one. And it was like, okay, good. Then we got to, I found a line of jewelry she likes by a company called Avery Brothers, James Avery Jewelry. And so, and, and James Avery, these people were brilliant. Because when you buy something with them, they kept an online record. So I could go into any James Avery store and say, hey, I need to find something from where. Does she have this? And they would look it up. And I go, okay, no, I already bought her that, so I don't need to get that. Um, or I bought her those earrings. Okay, that matches. It was great. And then they did away with that system, and now I'm really up a creek. And so this, this year, I was able to walk into a James Avery store and find the lady kept going, what are you looking for? I said, I don't know what I'm looking for. When I find it, I will see it, and I will know it. I said, it will be like a beacon thing. I will know it. I will know it. I don't know it. And as I was walking along, I kept looking. I count, no, 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 no. And then I found it. I was like. So I bought it. And then on Sunday, I gave it to her. And she's like, this is perfect. And I heard I was perfect, but... Um, <laughs> just tell you what I heard. Um, but anyway, and the first thing that she did, she took the neck... Are you wearing it? Oh, yeah, she's wearing it today. Look at how awesome this gift is. You can look at it later. But the first thing that she did was put it on took ownership of it. She's proud of it. She isn't wearing it today. You didn't know I was going to talk about it. Proud of it. Jesus Christ is a gift that's offered to you. It's not yours until you embrace it, take ownership of it, and make it yours. Until then, it's still a gift that's not yours. If I would have handed that to her and she said, thanks for the gift and always left it in the box, Never opened it up, never embraced it, never did. It's not really hers. Christmas is about God saying, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which I hope, I pray, is Christ your Lord. I stand here this morning saying, He's my Lord. And if I sit down in my chair this afternoon and fall asleep and never wake up, and I open my eyes in heaven, standing before an almighty God. I'm going to very simply look at him and say, You died for me. When I was 16 years old, I asked you to come into my heart to forgive me of my sin. I made you on that day, my Lord and my Savior. I haven't done it all right, but I've tried to live for you. And then, but I put my faith and trust in you alone as my way to God. And he'll say, enter in. You know why? Because that's what he promised. And as we go into Christmas, I hope you have that assurance. If you don't, please talk to one of us. Go home, read your Bible. Please talk to us. Because there's nothing more important this season than that. To those of you who are Christians, I, I want to say one little thing. This is great news. So why are you going to be quiet about it this next couple of days? Some of you are going to be with family. They need to know this. And it is my prayer that you will take the opportunities that you have this season 
to share the good news. You go, oh, you don't know, Pastor, I'll mess the whole thing up. If I try to tell somebody about Jesus, they know what. Socially, religious outcasts, God said, as awkward as you are socially, as backward as you are when it comes to religious stuff, you know what? You open your mouth, I'll use you. And I would say to you this morning, and by the way, we know the story today because of a bunch of social, religious misfits. And God used them to take this everywhere. Don't tell me God can't use you this season either. Because we take a message of peace and of goodwill and of great joy to a world that needs to hear it. So I end this morning this way. As we close it out, the angels announced the birth of Jesus to the world. God started with shepherds. And the word spread from there. God was no longer distant. But he came to be with us. Jesus is a personal God. Who wants a personal and real relationship with you. But he is a gift that you have to receive. Make sure you've done that. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Thank you. Lord, our minds cannot comprehend what you did. But, Father, we trust that you, for some reason, loved and cared about us. Lord, we've gathered here this morning to focus on a baby in a manger, but more importantly, Lord, to focus on a gift to us. And Lord, I pray that there's not a person here who does not walk from this building knowing for sure that they have a personal, real faith in you. Lord, for those of us that have that, may we share. That would be a light. May it be a testimony. May people see Christ in us in the days ahead. And Lord, may you use us to share the good news to a world that desperately needs it. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Um, let's